stories from around the corner. And around the country. You're listening to All The Best. Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. You're listening to All The Best from FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Madhura Prakash. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders past and present and also recognise that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance and resilience for First Nations communities. Dark matter is a component of the universe that scientists say encompasses 80% of its makeup. It doesn't emit light and is therefore invisible, and it cannot be detected by electromagnetic or other means. Scientists say dark matter exists, not because they've encountered it, but because it doesn't make sense for the rest of the universe to exist without it. To me, dark matter evokes a sense of mystery and excitement, but can also encompass fear and loneliness. The students of the Master of Journalism at the University of Melbourne were tasked with creating an audio story using the term dark matter as inspiration. As part of all the best's annual collaboration with these students, We've chosen some of our favourites to share with you in today's episode and in future apps. In our first story, Amelia investigates Australia's journey into legalising psychedelic-assisted therapies, where MDMA and magic mushrooms could be used to treat severe PTSD and depression. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Turn on... Tune in, drop out. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. The Western world has been fighting a war on drugs since the 1970s, when a moral panic around the rising hippie movement and psychedelics' involvement in the counterculture led to a prohibition on the clinical use of ancient psychoactive drugs like magic mushrooms. But the therapeutic potential of psychedelics has been known to the scientific community for decades. Recent clinical trials have shown that psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, has life-changing potential for people with treatment-resistant depression. Australia will become the world's first country to legalise the medical use of psychedelics this year. From the 1st of July, authorised psychiatrists will be able to prescribe psilocybin for post-traumatic stress disorder and treatment-resistant depression. The treatments that we have for a lot of mental health disorders aren't particularly effective. we haven't had essentially new a new sort of type of therapeutic for the treatment of uh, depression or psychological distress in over 50 years. That's Professor Christopher Langmead from Monash University, one of the researchers involved in the clinical trials administering psilocybin to people with severe mental illness. He said Australia is in the midst of a mental health crisis, with one in 10 Australians estimated to be taking antidepressants in 2015. When you put it like that and contrast that situation with cancer or heart disease, um, it doesn't really bear thinking about. But how does this all really work? Much of how psilocybin operates on the brain is a mystery, with hallucinations varying wildly for each individual, but lasting positive health effects remaining for many patients in trials. 
Professor Paul Lignazzi, also from Monash, says it's a courageous undertaking. One of the ways that I think about how psychedelics work is that they bring about this kind of unprecedented opportunity to have contact with sources of distress in your life and work with that. It's pretty, you know, courageous work. Often people are coming, you know, face to face with the very experiences that they have either consciously or unconsciously been avoiding for, you know, much of their lives. Um, but if you can do that in a safe and supported way, well-equipped uh, to do so, uh, then you can potentially address some of these, you know, sources of distress. Where am I, Shelbyville? Man, this is crazy. I hope I didn't brain my damage. I better check my pupils. Media depictions of psychedelic experiences range from fantastical to terrifying. But the reality of the trip was far from anything Aaron Sharkey had ever imagined when he volunteered as a healthy participant to take psilocybin and have his brain scanned. I looked up and all of a sudden the walls had patterns on it that weren't there before. Um... And then one of the doctors walked in and I had a massive grin on my face and um, said, I, th- I think we're on here. Under the effects of psilocybin, it's some of the most vivid patterns and like intricate terracotta kind of images I've seen in my life. Um, so I was looking up at the clouds and it was just like, couldn't even see any blue in the sky. It was just entirely like beautiful white patterns. And then a, uh, really really strange thing happened one of one of the clouds turned into an image of like me as a baby and i I don't know the exact photo it is like i've seen the photo a million times in my life but the cloud just distinctly turned into that photo of me as a baby um and then all the clouds of me as a baby and then another cloud turned into to like me as a one-year-old and then all the clouds of me as a one-year-old and then over the next what what felt like hours but in reality it was probably a few minutes I, I watched myself grow up in the clouds despite the excitement and promise associated with psilocybin the economics of introducing a radical new treatment like this are tricky researchers say that without any form of government subsidy a course of psychedelic assisted therapy will likely cost between 25 and thirty-five thousand dollars. so what we'll have initially by the sounds of it is essentially uh, uh, a treatment that is only available to a small number of people because of the by the virtue of the way that it will roll out and then it's going to be available only to an even smaller number of people because of the likely cost that's going to be associated with that quite frankly the patients that need this the most are going to be the ones that can't afford it now That story was produced by Amelia Costigan. Our next story focuses on the idea of taboo, a term that has a long history from ancient religious societies. But despite this history, are taboos still relevant in contemporary society? Or are they just a way for families to maintain control? Could you describe a taboo in your family? Tattoo. Dirty words. Learning is everything. 
They do not recommend me to go to live house, smoking, drinking, and swearing. You know, in my hometown, if your father hasn't died, you can't keep a mustache or the beard. My father always talked something like that. When I shave my face, he would yell at me. 滚！你看你想什么样？穿的吊儿郎当。真是不明白，你到底怎么想的？你不觉得丢人吗？丢不起人，没有你这样的孩子。还有没有点规矩？真是让人伤透了心。This is one of the taboo. I, my parents don't want me to get ear holes, to wear the earrings, and they don't want me to have the tattoos. But already done all of these things. You say, you are really how? Why do you have to do this? You have to wear a fair interpretation. How do you felt about these taboos? I think it is necessary for every family to have some taboos. Maybe they just hope that I can have a good life. You know, some rules is a very great thing for me. It is understandable in a way because my parents they have traveled, but they're not living outside for a while. You know, Chinese culture are influenced a lot by the Confucianism. So in Confucianism, we have a saying like "shenti fa fu shou zhi fu mu." It's kind of like everything God is given by your parents. That's really just a very nice experience from elders. They make so many things, and they know what is bad, what is good, and it can help me to distinguish the right from wrong when I was just a child. Most of the tables are lessons that parents have learned from their life experience, and they don't want these bad things to happen to their children again. When I go outside, I feel they just control me, and they said this is love. So I prefer to love myself and try to make my parents understand me. So you have a strong connection between you and your family. It's kind of like they control you, and so that's the part I don't like it. Why is my body? Why I can't decisions for myself? I want to shave. I want to keep it, or I want to just trim my hair. I'm a definitely individual. I'm not dependent. This is the things I hate about those kind of taboos. What makes you think they can control you? You know, it's a link between me and my family, my parents. You know, sometimes I will think, oh yes, these things my parents told me don't do that, and yes, and now maybe I see the same things is happen, the same condition is happen. I will say, oh yeah, my mom told me before. That's true. So I don't think it is a restriction. I think maybe it's a nice type to know in some hard situation you need to do what. They just do not recommend me to go to, but they do not restrict me to. You cannot go to. If you go, they will do something. I think this because since childhood, my parents' education forwards led me to accumulate over time. I also have、uh, produced this kind of thoughts. One thing is my value, my previously adapted belief. Because when I was a child, I was always told like you need to honor your parents and you should like follow the rules in the family. Even though I already grown up,、um, those kind of ideas always you know appeared in my head. 
And another point is all about the financial independence because now I, I still need my parents to, to pay tuition's fee for me. I can't leave without them. So they may just impose their thoughts on me, like what kind of things they want me to do. So I think from those two kind of points, they, they just control me in a way. That story was produced by Lee Guangao. Postnatal depression and anxiety is a common issue suffered by new parents, but is rarely talked about in the mainstream. Our next story explores the toll this isolating feeling can take on the people bringing new life into the world. So you have this image of um, bringing the baby home and you put it to sleep and it eats and you go walking with a pram, you get lots of cuddles. Uh, That's sort of the rosy picture of it. But the reality is it gets overwhelming. You feel like you're failing and you're trying to love a human that's pushing you to the edge. That's my cousin, Tony. Last February, she became a mum to Leonora. And while she says it's the best thing that's ever happened to her, it hasn't always been easy on her mental health. For the first five months, I would say um, Leonora would barely sleep. It was challenging to get her to eat um, because she was so tiny when she was born. And it was just this vicious cycle of trying to get her to do that 24 hours a day. For new mums in particular, it can really be a huge shock to to what you're used to. There's quite significant biological, psychological and social changes that occur. Alexandra Ehrenberg is a psychologist and director of Breathing Room Psychology. She provides support to parents experiencing postpartum anxiety and depression. When you're at home and you are completely sleep deprived, so fatigued, you have a newborn that really needs your attention all the time, you can be so cut off from those social networks. Um, And so that isolation can lead to loneliness and also lots of idle time for the mind just to be thinking, which can lead to some unhelpful kind of thinking patterns. You go in this circle of um, guilt and just survival and then when you talk to other mums they make it sound so easy and you feel like well how why have I been given such a challenging baby if it's not like this for everyone why is it like this for me am I doing something wrong is it because of my anxiety that I have have I passed on some of my anxiety onto my baby and that's why I was scared to have a baby to begin with and you start to question all these things and you just want one person to say yes me too And when it's all happening within your own home, it's really hard to to sort of get an idea of who else is, you know, going through something similar. And what we can tend to see is that, you know, people don't talk about it as as much as we would like. Um, And then you internalise. So you can just go, oh, it's just me. I'm coping. I'm failing. Um, You know, mum guilt is massive already because there's huge expectations on on women and mums in in particular that it can lead to to things like low self-worth guilt shame leading into to worse feelings of depression when i was really overwhelmed i'd have to call panda the helpline for mother for new mums 
and they were understanding, which was great. But it was always out of desperation. I'd be calling him because I haven't. I've got like two hours sleep in twenty four hours. Um, my baby hasn't stopped crying the whole time. I physically can't hold her anymore because I'm falling asleep, and I can't stop her from crying. So I'm crying because I can't stop her from crying. And then you feel helpless. And then there's no one to talk to about it. So, like, these are things you do not prepare yourself for. And um, I wish there was someone going through that at the same time. Tony says she still sometimes experiences these feelings of anxiety and depression from isolation. But when she does, she reminds herself that Leonora needs her support and that is helping her to learn to manage them. <laughs> good job. You're such a good helper. I'm definitely not where I was at the start. I try and reach out and create social interactions for myself and for Leonora. She's got little baby friends. So even if it's like something little, just go to the park for half an hour with a friend or go for a walk, grab a coffee. Just little, little interactions make a big difference for the day and for your mental well-being. That story was produced by Angelina Maroulis. You're listening to All the Best from FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Madhura Prakash. Are you interested in creating your very own audio story? All the Best is dedicated to supporting emerging storytellers. You don't need any experience, just enthusiasm. If you're interested, get in touch with us at allthebestradio.com. Our final piece is the story of Sarah Chien. Sarah is an international student from Taiwan who used her creativity and connection to culture to create a light for herself in the darkest of times. Every time I light up the candle, it is like a company for me. And you can see the lights moving a little bit. And it's just like they are waving to you. You are not alone. And it could give you some hope and courage, especially you are frustrated on something very challenging. More than 4,000 jobs were lost. Female office workers are among those whose jobs are being... As people are struggling to face skyrocketing costs of living and the fear of being replaced by the latest AI technology, Sarah found a way to break through all the obstacles and make her strength shine in a dark time. I think the culture and language are the major barriers to find a job in Australia. Also, the new era of AI totally changed the demand for the jobs such as the copywriting. I think the best way to show the ability of my marketing skill is to put the theory into practice. Creating an independent scented candles brand in Melbourne is a way Sarah found to conquer all the barriers in a country far from her home. However, it's never an easy thing for her to bring the light into the darkness. To set up a business in an unfamiliar place, the legal issue is the first problem Sarah faced. Some issue relevant to law, finance, taxation, and accounting must be understood by myself. It's quite difficult for me. Senior accountant Jasper Tao 
Also explain that the tax game for a sole trader might be a little bit different from being an employee. I think the main tax issue will be he or she will be taxed at their marginal tax rate, which means they may pay higher tax than if they ever going to carry out their business in a different structure. Jasper further mentioned that the better way to reduce the income tax burden is to register the brand as a company. Which may be classified as a small business and be entitled to reduce the tax rate, which is 25%. However, besides the income tax issue, Sarah also faced another trouble while developing her scented candles. I found that I do not know how to import the chemical liquids into Australia because some raw material have to be imported from overseas. And I went to the air tasker to find the expert, but unfortunately, I was game of money. I didn't get the result I pay, and so it's I lose the money. It was one thousand dollars that Sarah lost due to the scam on the digital tax service platform. Losing money was not the only dark thing Sarah went through before really setting up her own candles business. One of the most challenging problem for me is the uneven surface of the candle. I just tried a lot of times to fix with this problem because basically when the wax melting, they will start become solid from the outer and in the center. So that will probably make the hole in the center. The little technical issue did not make Sarah give up her plan. Instead, the relentless practice turned her into a qualified candle designer. You just got to know and try as much as time as you can because I have tried over fifty times for the candle testing, and then after many failures, you will got which temperature is right to pour in and when to reveal and any details you will find from your mistakes. That is what the expert comes. After conquering all the difficulties, Sarah finally lighted up her shop board in the darkness. The name of Nuan Nuan means warm in Chinese, and that is why I decided to name it as Nuan Nuan Oriental. And for our container, I choose the traditional Chinese teaware because I think it's a cultural expansion of Asian culture. Sarah tried to combine Asian culture in every detail of her brand, including the ingredients of each candle, such as the candle named Exotic Woods. It's blended with multiple scents of wood, including a tree from her hometown, Taiwan Red Cypress. The woody scents could remind the Asian people. About our beliefs, it's like you went to the temple. You could smell the sandalwood and argilwood. When you face some challenges, you will go to the temple. It's our culture. So this scent just like a reminder for calm and peace. For Sarah, language might be a barrier, but the scent of candles can help her overcome this barrier and make more people understand Asian culture. After conquering all the obstacles to launch the independent candles business, Sarah said it's important to recognize and show our own values while facing new challenges in dark times. That story was produced by Zhang Lunshu. Supervising production for today's stories were by Sammy Shah, Daniel Simo, and Mel Chun. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we make these stories, 
and pay our respects to Elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal Land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and 8CCC on Arunde and Waramungu lands. The All the Best editorial manager is Mel Chun and Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our production manager. Our social media producer is Isabella Lee. Patrick McKenzie is our community coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and were made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Madhura Prakash. Thanks for listening.